Welcome to the Bible Answer Show, a live and lively forum that brings together pastoral and apologetic voices from across the Christian community to answer your scripture questions. Our show is hosted by Pastor Michael Lance of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, along with a panel of pastors and other invited guests. The phone lines are open now. So, you've got questions, we've got answers on... Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Bible Answer Show. We are live here on a Monday, uh, well, I guess it's uh, noon, Monday at noon, uh, ready to take your calls here at 1-800-227-5278. That's 1-800-227-5278. Or you can email those questions to answers at livingtruthradio.org. You can also post a question to the Bible Answer Show Facebook page, or you can tweet your question to uh, Bible Answer Show at Bible Answer Show. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out what the Twitter account is here. Uh, not that uh, you know we get around to that very often. But uh, my name is Mike Massaro. I'll be taking your calls today. I'll be handing them off to our team of biblical scholars here. Starting out with Coach Chris Van Hook, Joe Kelly, and Senior Pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship, Pastor Michael Lance. Guys, good how af- are you? Good guys afternoon. Doing? Monday afternoon. <laughs> good afternoon. Mike, we're good. <laughs> and good. I, it, it's neat, I think, to be entering into the Christmas season. And it is. You know. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna mention something about that. Yeah. I'm gonna cut you off, but you know, sometimes as we first start getting into the Christmas season, it doesn't really feel Christmassy. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes I think what we need is a is a little boost. So I, I kind of threw something together real quick. Uh-oh. Uh oh. T- I'm gonna see what you guys think. All right. Goes <laughs> okay. a little something like this. We're dreaming of a Bible answer show where callers call us on the air like Art in South Bay, wondering if he's been saved and thanking us because we care. What do you think? Yeah, Art, I hope Art's listening. Give us a call, Art, because we can, we can answer your questions. No, Art, I think Art knows he's saved. Actually, I think our, uh, our all about that baby last night, if that didn't get you in the... In the mood, nothing else. Well, yeah, we had a wonderful always... uh, show here last night that our kids praise put on an outreach Friday night for people in the community that needed a meal, and it was a wonderful weekend. And certainly, I, I felt like uh, you know the Christmas spirit, if you want to call it that, was was here. So uh, I think we're ready to go. All right, all right. Well, we're gonna go to uh, we're gonna go to the to the phone lines here one more time. The number one eight hundred two two seven. 5278. We're going to go to Ronald in San Diego. Ron, you're on with the Bible Answer Show. Hello. Thank you. I praise God for you. Now, uh, I wanted to ask when Jesus' birthday was. I got a thing in the mail from Southwest Radio Church, and it says the time for Jesus to be born was perfect uh, humility of speaking, humility speaking. He had the perfect mother, he had the perfect birthplace, and the date was perfect. The first day of the Feast of Tabernacles, September 29th, 4 B.C. Yeah, well, Ron, I, I have certainly heard that uh, people have argued for the Feast of Tabernacles um, as a possible uh, day of the birth of Jesus Christ. But actually, there was an early church father and his name escapes me right right now, that uh, came up with the the date of December 25th, and that began to be embraced by the church pretty early on. 
Um, I heard a actually a Messianic pastor make a pretty interesting argument for the Feast of Tabernacles being the birth date of Jesus Christ. But the fact is, we just don't know. And here's why we, do, we just don't know. We just don't have a biblical reference that tells us the exact day of his birth. And we have, uh, you know, some different things, I think, in history that have come forth as possible dates, but we just don't know. So I think the reference to when the time was perfect, yeah, it was the perfect time on God's calendar. Galatians 4 says, when the fullness of time had come, God brought forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, Galatians 4, verse 4. So um, for you to get a mailer from a ministry and that ministry to argue that they have a, uh, they speculate that this is the day, they, you know, here's how they put it together would be interesting. But for a ministry to come out and say that is the day that he was born, uh, we would just say, we really don't think there's enough evidence for that. So uh, let's go back for a second to Ron. Ron, does that help out? Do you have any of the further? Yeah, I, I just w wanted to see what you would say on it, because I never heard it say that say that before. Yeah, Ron, and, and you know what? And um, I don't... Again, there's a there's a messianic pastor out of Washington. I'm trying to remember his name right now. Mark, uh, oh gosh, his last name's not coming to mind. But anyway, um, he's the one that I heard present this evidence, and he he pieces it together from the feast days and rabbinical sources and that kind of thing. And it's a, it's an interesting argument, but again, there's there's really not enough evidence for anybody, I think, to be dogmatic and, on it. And you know, Pastor. I I think there should be some red flags just in the fact that, you know, first of all, we, <clears throat> we have no scriptural mandate or command to celebrate the birth of Christ. And so for those of us that do and, and, and think it's an honorable thing to do and something to look forward to because we're, just, we're celebrating the entrance of our, our King and our Lord as, as His uh, earthly hum, human birth, because we don't have a date, we can do that freely. But when somebody starts to claim to have the date, what is it beyond that that they're saying that they have that they are, have the exclusiveness on truth, right? So I think those should be red flags when people say that they know the date and that's the only date we should worship. When in fact we're not even commanded to uh, worship and celebrate the date. Yeah, I would totally agree with with that, Joe. That uh, I would be red flag when someone says they know for sure the date. Um, we've had around 2,000 years for people to study this, and the biggest conclusion they come to is we don't know exactly. And, you know, I kind of like those things because uh, we can get too wrapped up in those types of things, just like, um, you know, if we were to find the Ark of the Covenant or one of those um, particular articles, we tend to worship the wrong things. It's just kind of human nature. So... Um, I, I think it's great that we can celebrate the day, and we and we should, and uh, you know we we want to use this time again to spread the gospel of Christ. But I, I don't like to speak on things that we are not absolutely sure about in any way uh, dogmatically. So that would be a, I, I agree. It's a red flag to maybe stay away from people who teach those things. This is the Bible Answer Show, and we are taking your Bible questions, and we would love for you to call. So. Uh, we have some open lines right now at 800-227-5278. I want to just kind of round this out by saying that there are dates given in Scripture 
uh, for example, for the Passover, where we do know the date. And we, we know that the Jewish people have been celebrating Passover and Pentecost and tabernacles at certain times of the year. So that's where we've got to start with the scripture. Do we have a scriptural date? And in this case, we really don't. And I know that there's even some people that say Christians should not celebrate Christmas. And of course, that's a whole other discussion that I'm sure we'll have in the month of December. But we just don't, we cannot be dogmatic on the date of the birth of Christ. But what we've said in a previous broadcast is, should we celebrate his birth? I think definitely. The angels celebrated it. The wise man came and visited him early on. And it's a good thing to celebrate, but not to be dogmatic about a date that we're not really positive about. I agree. I might stick with June 3rd online. There you so. go. Uh, Rod in Riverside. You know, Rod, I was going to put you in the Christmas song, too, but uh, I didn't have enough time. I was, you know, I was thinking something to Rod. It was the second verse, right? Yeah, Riverside, Yuletide, something like yeah. that. I or something that rhymes with Rome, because he's got a question about he Rome. He does have a question about I was about thinking Rome. about a gnome. But <laughs> Christmas gnome <laughs> in Rome. <laughs> Rod, you're on with the Bible Answer Show. My only response to that is circle the engines, boys. The wagons are attacking. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, fellas, I was wondering if you guys had any views on who started the church in Rome. My my take uh, from the Book of Romans was that uh, it was already in force before Paul showed up there. Hmm. I think so, Rod. And you know, in the Book of Acts, in chapter two, when the Holy Spirit comes upon the church. Um, you can see that there are visitors from Rome that are there. And of course, uh, you have the Feast of Pentecost. Uh, you know, uh, I heard uh, somebody once say that the Jews were the first Pentecostals because they were celebrating Pentecost for a long time. On the Feast of Pentecost, we have the Holy Spirit being poured out. And we're told in Acts chapter 2 that there were visitors from Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. So um, these visitors from Rome, Acts 2.10, probably took the gospel back after that experience. You know, Peter does preach right after this uh, phenomenon occurs. And uh, that's, that's really, I think, our best evidence as to how the church got started, is that people went back, um, having heard the gospel, having repented, what is it, 3,000 people, came to Jesus Christ after that sermon and went back to Rome and, uh, you know, uh, started the church. Um, you know, there is some evidence, I think, about Priscilla and Aquila as well, uh, because it does say that they had recently come from Italy in Acts 18, verse 2, um, when all the Jews were uh, commanded to leave by Claudius, they left Rome, Acts 18, 2. So, um possibility there as well. But um, again, I think this is another one of those things. Uh, I, I do believe it was established before Paul. Paul wrote back to the church. He said he wanted to see them. Indications were that he had not yet, but he wanted to get to Rome. And eventually he did get there. But uh, no, I don't think he founded the church. What would you guys say? I, I agree. I, I think uh, most scholars attribute uh, Paul writing uh, the book of Romans somewhere after 50 AD, 55 perhaps, and the church had already been established, and to write to an already established church. So when you're, you're looking at chronology there, so yeah, we don't know who started. Uh, I am extremely impressed with the way Phrygia and Pamphylia just rolled right off the tongue, though. That's all from memory? <laughs> on, a, on a Monday? <laughs> Was that all from memory? No, actually, I, I did pull up the scripture. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, I can even butcher those when I'm looking at them. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. 
You know, I think one of the great things, and, and Rod, I love the way that you dig into the scriptures, by the way. It's encouraging to us. I think one of the really neat things is that we don't know who started many of these churches, um, but then the need was obviously for some of the different churches to have overseers. And that's part of what Paul did. You know, when he went out, it says the appointed elders and the appointed overseers to churches that have already begun. And I look, I look even in our own country, uh, how many churches started as a Bible study? And someone just spurred on by the Holy Spirit said, I want to start a Bible study and get people into the Word of God. Uh, maybe they were in a place where there wasn't a church that was a, a real strong teaching church. I know I won't tell you what the city was, but I moved to Central California for my first head football job, and I, I literally couldn't find a church in this small town that really, really taught the Word of God. So I started a Bible study, and I stayed there two years, but at least uh, at least seven years after, the, uh, some of the people that were in that Bible study came back, and that Bible study was still going on. And this is kind of what happened. It was it was just the Holy Spirit moving on the hearts of people, and and they started their their small groups, so to speak. And then sometimes they grew, and then there was an overseer appointed uh, to help them along. So uh, again, it, it's not so important who started it. What's important is what happened. And coach, what an awesome thing to think about a church that started in Rome. You know, Rome was really like the center of the world. And it was a place where there was emperor worship going on. There was all kinds of, you know, paganism and, you know, there was polytheism going on. And right there in the middle of all of that junk, uh, there was a little church. And, uh, you know, when you think about Paul's missionary journeys and you think about Paul in Athens and Paul going into Corinth, these were major, major uh, areas of the world, major cities, uh, areas where there was just rank paganism occultism, ugly stuff going on. It was right there that Christians made great impacts. And so you may be listening right now, and maybe God has put a church on your heart. Maybe he's been prodding at you to start a Bible study. Why don't you just obey him? Start that Bible study at work. Start that Bible study in your home and see what he might do. Maybe not with the outlook of starting a church. I was listening to Greg Laurie earlier, and he said when he went to Riverside Coach many years ago when nobody wanted to go, (laughs) and there was a little Bible study, he said it wasn't his intention to start a church, but it became a church. And boy, what a church. It's impacted a lot of people. So again, um, I think think these, these beginnings of really not even knowing that there was a major person there that founded the church gives more hope for all of us uh, people that feel often inadequate that, you know what, if we just obey God, you never know what he might do to change the world through something where you just obeyed him. All right, you're listening to the Bible Answer Show. You can call in at 1-800-227-5278. We're here till about 1225. 1-800-227-5278. Uh, we are going to go to the uh, Bible Answer Show mailbag. And uh, no, actually, we, we got a question on Facebook from Christina. Uh, Christina says, um, when the rapture happens, will all children be taken up, including those with non-believing parents? Uh, and she goes on to ask, uh, after the millennium, Satan will be released for a short period of time so that those born during the millennium can choose to follow God or Satan. Will they have a Bible like we do now to help us? Also, when the rapture happens, does anyone know if the Bible will be available to those left on earth? A lot of questions there. Wow. That'll take us through the end of the week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that will. Well, let's deal with the first one first. Uh, I I think 
the whole concept of the rapture brings up a lot of questions in people's minds about, you know, is it possible that some people who, um, you know, sure look like Christians or maybe backslidden Christians would not go to meet the Lord? And, and I think that really when you're thinking about um, what the purpose of the rapture is, my understanding of the Bible and eschatology is the purpose of the rapture is to rescue God's people before his wrath comes. The church has not been appointed to wrath. And so I think that anybody that would be in a believing category would be rescued from the wrath of God. You could look at 1 Thessalonians 5.9. I think it's 1 Thessalonians uh, 1. I can't remember the exact verse, but um, we the church is not appointed to wrath. So the big debate among those who are premillennial and those who do believe in a rapture is what's the timing of that rapture? And I think everybody who holds a rapture view would say, well, we believe the rapture is going to take place before the wrath comes. There are some groups, Mike, that believe that maybe the church would be protected like ancient Israel was in Egypt. Uh, when the plagues are coming on the Egyptians, they'll somehow be supernaturally spared or covered. But even that category of person does not believe that the church is appointed to wrath. So anybody that would be in a believing category would be spared from the wrath of God. You know, we don't have time to get into the timing of the rapture right now, but I will just say this. So if a child would be considered at that moment in their life, um, you know, to be uh, uh, taken by the Lord, if you will, or be in a position where, you know, God's grace would be upon them, then in my view, they would go. And, you know, this does bring up questions that we've dealt with in the past about age of accountability and that kind of thing. There's an interesting uh, verse in Numbers chapter 1, no, Deuteronomy chapter 1, where it does talk about those who didn't really know good or evil, the generation that was 20 and under, they went into the promised land. That's one interesting verse to look at. We don't have an open and shut case on the age of accountability, but I would say, yes, um, in my view, children would be going in the rapture. So you think even children... From homes of non-believers? Well, it, it, that is an interesting question, Joe, because there are some Christians that believe that only children of believers are going to have God's grace upon them. And I would just say, again, I don't see a strong enough argument to right. make a, a case for that. Yeah, I was, I was going to speak to that. I think where people get that idea is the verse that says that, you know, your children will be sanctified by believing parents. And I don't believe that's at all what that's speaking about. It's not sanctification, even in the sense that we normally think of sanctification of a person who's a believer. I don't think there's any requirement upon that. I think we could look at that and say that might not be very just or fair. Uh, I do want to get to the to the uh, part of the question that talked about Satan being released here. It's in Revelations chapter 20. Did I say Revelations? That's terrible. Yeah, I listened did. to too many people. Revelation <laughs> chapter 20. Thank no you. S. It says... Um, in verse 2, that he laid hold of the dragon and the serpent of old, who's the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. So that is going to happen. There's no question about it. He threw him into the abyss, shut it, and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Then later on down to verse 7, it says, when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from prison. And here's the reason. He will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. 
So Satan will be released again, and I think that most scholars and I think most um, people that have studied this would say that the reason Satan is released again is because even though there's been, in a sense, been almost perfection in this thousand years because Jesus will rule with a rod of iron, um, people's hearts still need to be exposed. And I think there will be people who, even at that point in time, would, would still follow Satan rather than the Lord. The question about the Bible, yeah, I don't believe that all Bibles are raptured with us. I don't think they're all going up with us. I think the Bible will be available. Um, it, it may be less available just because of the persecution. I think that's a, you know, something to think about. Uh, who, who knows if there won't be a Bible burning uh, you know, time take place during then. But, but I don't believe uh, um, that they'll be going up with us in the rapture. People will have Bibles, yeah. Going back to what you said about uh, the sanctification by a different definition. Mm -hmm. So the spouse that's sanctified by a believing spouse, an unbelieving spouse is sanctified in what sense? Well, mm -hmm. I believe in this sense that they have a special opportunity to see the gospel live before them. But I don't believe just because that spouse is a Christian, automatically the other spouse is saved. Right. Mm -hmm. Each one has to decide for themselves. Mm -hmm. And so um, in the same way, children... You know, perhaps again, this would this would be maybe a toddler before they could actually decide for the Lord. Would would there be a difference between a believing and unbelieving household? Do you have a, any kind of opinion on that one? I, I have, I, I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you believe that they're especially sanctified in a believing household? Uh, not in the sense that Pastor Chris also believed. Not in that sense. Okay. That there's an automatic uh, like salvation. If you think about it, though. In whose homes would we rather live as children? So I think that that sanctification that comes, that sort of blessing, is because there is a believer in the home, and that believer does have a relationship with the Lord, it does have prayers answered, uh, does have a, uh, the heart of Christ for his family and that love. In that sense, that's a blessing all on its own. So I, I think it's in that sense... Mm -hmm. And maybe not just that sense, but the fact that one of the parents, at least one, is a believer, and because of that, that, that person's filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, Joe, and I, I was going to say the very same thing, and I've often, in uh, marriage counseling, where one is a believer and one is a non-believer, um, just bluntly pointed out to them, do you realize how much blessing there is in your house because you are married to a believing spouse. Hmm. Things happen for you that aren't going to always happen for other people because just as you said, a, a believing spouse who is praying uh, for their spouse, for their kids, um, God honors, He blesses. And I think there's that opportunity. Let, let's look at it this way. There is a greater opportunity for kids who are brought up in uh, a, a household where at least one person is a believer to hear the gospel, to know the gospel, like you said, to see it lived out. Uh, and, and so that does, in a sense, increase opportunity for them to come to the Lord. But of course, it doesn't exclude anybody sure. else. Right. Well, and, and Coach, I think to uh, somebody listening right now, maybe that believer that feels like they live in the lion's den, you know, it might be that person who is the only Christian in a home, it may be a wife. It might be a teenager. We have some teenagers who go to church without their families or some kids that are taken to vacation Bible school. They become Christians and their parents are not saved. So sometimes it's a very lonely venture. And I think this is this is encouragement for the solo Christian mm. 
in a home uh, with no other believers that, you know, the Lord's going to use you in a special way to, to hopefully to reveal the gospel to those people around you. Amen. All right. We're going to squeak in Art from South Bay. Art, Art you're on with the Bible Answer Show. Hi, good afternoon. Thank you so much for taking my call again. I feel so blessed. Anyhow, my question for today is this. The Bible mentions many times the word hypocrites, or you hypocrites. You know, every time when I sit down and try to see Jesus out there, all of a sudden he comes up and says, you hypocrites. That sounds pretty, kind, not really too good to me. But my question is this, to be a hypocrite, is that considered in the eyes of God a sin? Is this a violation of the commandment, or is this just basically a warning notice? But I see that, even myself, no, don't get me wrong, I sometimes you know, think that I have to be careful to not to be a hypocrite, but at least I am admitting that, that I have potentiality that to become a hypocrite. Yes, sir. And I see that so many times to even my friends, even part of my family that are so-called Christians, and then I hear all of a sudden always that, well, Art, yeah, we're, we're down to two minutes, Art, so let me, let me, yeah, let me respond to you. Um, first of all, the word hypocrite is an interesting word. It's hypocritas in Greek, and it's a word that means a play actor. Uh, at its heart, Judas was a hypocrite. Um, you know, he was a phony, and he had a mask on. Um, I do think that Christians, though, can struggle with hypocrisy. Not being a true play actor, not being a phony, but sometimes not coming across maybe in the in the most sincere way. Here's a few verses. Romans 12, 9, written to churches, written to the church at Rome, I should say, says, let love be without hypocrisy, written to Christians. In Galatians 2, 13, it says, the rest of the Jews joined him, Peter, in hypocrisy. That's when Paul confronted Peter to his face about him being kind of aloof with the uh, the Gentiles. Uh, James three seventeen says, uh, the wisdom from above is gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. First Peter 2.1 says that we're to put aside hypocrisy, envy, and slander. It's included in a list of sins. So yes, I would say, Art, when we are hypocritical, it is a sin. Um, and it's, it's the same thing when Christians get envious or they slander or backbite or gossip. It, it is something that we shouldn't do. And when we do it, and look, we've all made that mistake, I'm sure. That's that's something we need to repent of and just make sure we're moving forward. Yeah, but uh, true hypocrisy is what you said, Pastor Michael. I think that's important to point out. That's a person who, who says one thing but really doesn't believe in that and doesn't act it out. And so uh, that that you know complete hypocrisy, that is the sin that's being spoken about. So I think it's important for all of us who are listening today to make sure our heart is genuine before the Lord. Uh, not that we're going to act like we're perfect, but just say, Lord, change my heart and, and make me more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. All right. The Bible Answer Show is produced by Shane Lanson and Cameron Thomas. Special thanks to Joel, who's screening our calls today. Hey, the Bible Answer Show is a listener-supported ministry. So if you want to help keep us on the air in uh, 2017, you can go to uh, livingtruthradio.org and hit the donate button. That will help us out. Hey, thanks to all our callers, and we'll catch you tomorrow on the Bible Answer Show. Thanks for joining the conversation on The Bible Answer Show. To find out more about the radio ministry, Michael Lance, or the church he pastors in Corona, Living Truth Christian Fellowship, visit livingtruthradio.org. 
Please tell your friends about us and invite them to join us any weekday here on KBright. And if they have questions, we'll have answers on the next Bible Answer Show.